Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Cat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 33, Evolve, Evolve, Evolve! This week we're discussing season 2, episode 20 of Buffy, Go Fish, and series 3, episode 4 of Doctor Who, Daleks in Manhattan. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. Okay. Mm-hmm. Go fish. I like the way you said that as like an imperative. Go fish. Go fish. <laughs> Go and... fish. I do not have any cards. <laughs> um, no card playing references in this oh, episode. No. But um, so I think... Uh, once again, there are going to be some rare, kind of interesting, unexpected parallels, more from the like real world standpoint than necessarily within the stories themselves. Mm. But, um, you know, and, and we can talk about some of those. But one of them is that um, both of these episodes are introducing new writers to that, you know, that we haven't, uh, you know, met before in these uh, stories. So we want to make sure that we sort of pay attention to them, especially because um, for Buffy, uh, this episode was written by David Fury, and it's his first one, right? I think this is his first his, episode. His first Buffy episode, yeah. His first Buffy episode. Um, and that is a name that I know, um, you know, from other things. I mean, a lot, I'm sure I haven't seen a fraction of the extensive work that he's done, but I know he's a fan favorite a lot of people really respect his writing um and the what i do know him from is lost um where he only wrote for the first season but he wrote um several of really good episodes in particular walkabout which is pretty much everybody who loved lost cites walkabout as one of the best episodes and the one that really kicked off the show in a big way hmm. so when I see his name attached, you know, a certain amount of expectation goes along with it. Um, sure. And, but, you know, you have to remember that these are career-spanning uh, episodes, and he's maybe finding his voice a little bit, and um, a, a little disappointing given his name, you know, not quite what I was, or what I would have hoped for from him, but um, but that is what it is, and I look forward to seeing lots more episodes from him. I don't know if you have any other setups for his work as a writer or whether we should just let that go and see what he brings to the table in the future. Sure. Well, um, I'll say up front, this is the only episode he wrote in season two. Obviously this is his first episode he's written and we've only got a couple more to go. So that's not a big surprise. Um, he writes a couple more in season three. Uh, but then, uh, the, and those, episodes he writes in season two and three are just freelance. You know, they're not, he's not like part of the writing staff or anything at this point. Okay. He he does um, in season four join the writing staff. Um, and, and he also writes for angel as well and writes for both series through the end uh, of each of them. So um, he's definitely a significant voice. Um, this is his first episode. I'm not sure, you know, Obviously, in things like this, we've talked about how, like, there's it's not just necessarily the writer coming up with a specific idea. It's a team. So, sure, you know, yeah. it 
Yeah, you, you can't blame him necessarily the blame, for the absolutely. the whole story. Although, although I feel kind of funny saying that because we have called out some other stories and laid the blame at the writer's feet. So, right, you know, yeah, it. This is not my favorite episode. It's still not as bad as, um, you know, the one that title I always forget with the puppets there, puppet show. <laughs> the one um, which you blocked from. Yeah, the one that memory. I can really have. But but I like I like David Fury. Like you know, like you said, uh, Lost. I actually I as well saw Lost before I ever watched Buffy. So yeah. you know, his stories um, from that are the ones that I would, would have known, uh, as well when, when I was first starting to watch Buffy and Angel. Um, he also went on, he, 24 fringe. Mm -hmm. uh, I've never, I've never watched 24 fringe. I like, uh, he came in the later couple of seasons of that. So, you know, yeah, I don't think that we should, uh, necessarily write David Fury off just for this. Oh, of course not. No. <laughs> um, even, even in his work with, with Buffy and Angel. So, no, we'll, and it we'll just see a goes lot to, and it just goes to show, you know, I think uh, people are very quick to condemn writers on particular, condemn or praise writers on the strength or weakness of particular stories, and it just, it does just go to show that, you know, in a, in your twenty or thirty or forty year writing career, you know, even for writers like him who I know are very well respected, mm -hmm. you're going to have the occasional you know oh, yeah. one which you know whatever and that and that happens and that's okay you know it's right right so yeah no precisely it's it, it, you know so yeah he's he he is a good writer overall this isn't the best episode let's talk about it and see what what we can come up with because i think interestingly that we've been able to come up with some good stuff even in those episodes that we haven't necessarily yeah. liked or, or that don't necessarily have that popular uh acclaim you know and i i hadn't looked up this one specifically just to sort of see where it fell on the ratings. Um, so that's my bad. I probably could have, but you know, I'm sure we'll both get over it. Um, <laughs> the, well, so we were going to kind of, I think move into like the monster slash metaphor of the week. Pretty, yeah. pretty obvious one, you know, steroids yeah, yeah. are bad. Um, and they will turn you into fish. Uh, yeah, don't 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 do drugs to enhance your swimming performance. Yeah, or or just general athletic performance. Um, yeah, and and it's pretty much been explicitly stated by Barney Knox and uh, that yes, that is the purpose of this episode. In case you didn't get it, um, <laughs> you know. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So let's talk about that a little. What do you have uh, to say, Kat? Well, now gosh. talk. No. Now that we've just reduced the whole thematic <laughs> significance of the story into one sentence, what yes. else do I have to say about it? Exactly. And maybe that's my problem is I, I kind of feel like maybe it can be dissolved into one sentence that, you, you know, you know that's, what, a little, that's a little frustrating. But um, All right. I know I just told you to talk, but I'm going to talk some more. All right. The, you talk because I'm drawing a blank. The, so. the, the point for me where I think it jumps the shark, if I can use that phrase without laughing, which apparently I can't. Um, yeah. the, the point for me is when Buffy um, is sort of expostulating on, you know, have, you know, being 
someone who takes steroids and and the ruin that it does for you you know i'm trying to remember exactly which scene is that when they're in the pool when they're like the three of them are sitting there buffy willow and cordy or is it a different spot where she right where she's saying maybe they're acting differently because of Oh, it, it, like because angels just spit out the blood and she's wondering maybe it's something in their blood. And right, she says right. maybe steroids. Yeah. Is that what you're thinking? Well, that's sort of where they identify it. But but they kind of go on about um, why steroids are bad. And it, it, it's a little more like almost clubbing you over the head with it a little bit more. Um, and I wish I didn't. It was such a. I thought uh, not not the greatest scene as far as. um just even within the episode, like it just kind of had that very preachy sort of sound to it. And I didn't write down any quotes from it, although I probably should have. <laughs> I, I probably should have because now I'm blanking on exactly where it is. Um, she's doing that. But I, I anyway, there is a point <laughs> where Buffy yeah. is is very clearly like steroids are bad and see what they do to you. And, you know, like that yeah, kind of yeah. thing. And it's just like, OK, like it could. Yeah. I think for me, if it had been a little subtler. It it the episode would have been better for it, and it's just yeah. because it is so. It's such a straight, direct line. It it comes yeah, right like, up to that allegory, you know, like yeah. in the Tolkien sense of the word, where you know he talks about not being allegory. <laughs> like this comes right close to it. Um, yeah, well, maybe it, because they're explicitly talking about steroids, so mm. there's no sense of. It's not even so much a metaphor as like a direct. Yeah, maybe you know, that's link. it. Um, and uh, you know, I think I think we, I think we pretty, we do a pretty good job in both shows of putting up. And I don't want to say putting up like it's a hardship, but I think we accept a lot of implausible things mm-hmm. in both shows, and and do so without trouble. Um, but. Even I had a hard time with um, this, that, that these drugs were derived from uh, fish DNA it, it, from, from experiment, Soviet experiments with fish DNA in their Olympic swimmers. Right. 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 Well, that, even if, if the jumping the shark might've been that for me and that, and that you, know. you know, I was trying to think, cause like, I mean, okay, late nineties, you're a lot closer, but still this is almost 10 years after the Berlin wall. And certainly, you know, after the, the main thrust of like the cold war and stuff like Soviet fish DNA experiments, like, like (laughs) this, yeah, that, that just kind of seems a little off. Um, I, I I like that they did go in a direction of like a more natural, like, so we, we've seen, um, you know, we've talked about how there's sort of like three sorts of, I don't know if tropes is the right word, but but sort of sources of bad guys, right? There's sort of the natural source. Uh, mm-hmm. Just there's something going on here. It's a, it's like more on the scientific side of things. There's the magical source, which we saw, you know, before. And then there's like the supernatural or or like mm-hmm. the the fantastical. So like last week we had the ghosts, and you know, yeah. like anything with vampires, I would sort of put in that category or right, demons right. of some type. Um, but this one is, yeah, this one's more along the net. This is more like the, uh, you know, giant praying mantis, right? It's like nature gone right. wild kind of thing. Right, right. And it's <laughs> nature totally, gone wild. I mean, like yeah. nature gone on steroids, even, so to speak. <laughs> and that with a twist, though, because it's not something which is naturally occurring, but it's it's 
like chemical in a way it's it's mm-hmm. twisted right. nature you know right, but it's right. something you can create in a laboratory and everything so that is cool um why they need to be soviet i it, if it makes me laugh you know yeah no that <laughs> there might be that did seem seem a little um, uh yeah not not the best of pseudosciences <laughs> and well I, this is okay so this is I'm going to try to find nice things to say about this episode, but this is my other thing too. Okay. So explain to me Mm -hmm. how this helps the coach win the championship. If all of his top swimmers are turning into, well, he didn't, I mean, he didn't know that that was necessarily was going to happen is that's sort of my, right. But that's sort of my justification. And so like now that it is happening, he's, he's trying to fix it. Right. Cause he talks about, Oh, if I just get the formula right, then we'll be all set. Okay. Maybe I missed that because I, I got that too, that he didn't necessarily know, but once it is happening, he does know. And then he's continuing to expose them to the steam, which has the drugs in, in the sauna and right. everything. So I just was, but I, I think I did miss the line about him trying to find. Yeah. Okay. So it seemed like this was his, nefarious plan all along and i was like well that actually doesn't help you win anything so right so there there's the scene (laughs) there's the scene where okay so like all along you sort of think the coach is involved but you don't really get any admission and then like when um buffy fights the three fish things in the locker i'm not see i'm not even sure what to call these things that's i think part of my problem like right fish weird thingies but i know creature from the black lagoon is just too long and and we'll i mean i'll have the same problem when we get to the next episode with the pigs but um (laughs) anyway so like like we don't really know what's happening buffy fights them and then like the coach is like oh i just didn't think and you and and you think oh is this a twist is this like you expect the coach to have known all along but he really didn't you know maybe it was something else and then like immediately after that him and the nurse are walking in the pool. Mm -hmm. And that's where he says, the nurse is trying to say, Oh, you know, what are you doing to these boys? You, you know, you can see what's going on. And he's like, if I, you know, we're almost there. If I can just get, you know, the mix right or, or whatever the exact, you know, if I just get the formula, right. Then, then I'll be okay. So the intent isn't to turn people into fish, but I also get the sense that he thinks that, you know, apparently, hubristically mm-hmm. you know like is that the right word i don't know is there is there a good adverb <laughs> for hubris um, i think that sound i think that sounds about right <laughs> you know it, so he apparently thinks that it again if he can just get this mix right that they'll stay human but retain sort of the speed and right, characteristics right. of the fish so it's that's the goal right. and, and that's I, and what I did, will help that would have been that makes sense i guess yeah, my confusion was once he knows they're turning into monsters, why would he keep doing that? But right, I guess cause he's, he's not he's not afraid to break a few eggs on the way to yeah, because he's this, a past this. his prime coach yeah. who clearly has not been able to win anything, you know, until now. So this is this is his way of cheating, you know, getting an edge, um, and and trying to give himself what little of a name he he can at this stage in his career. Um, that's the way I interpret it anyway. Okay. That may be a generous interpretation. Um, 
but I think, you know, I think it kind of works within the context of, of what they talk about. Um, cause you can see the same sort of thing in Snyder, right? Snyder's, you know, he doesn't even like the school. He doesn't even right. want to be there. We've seen that before. He doesn't like the students, but he gets excited when they start winning state championships. Um, yeah. or, or, you know, towards winning a state championship anyway. Um, and we get yeah. the sense that Sunnydale just has not been very competitive no. <laughs> in, in, you know, historically speaking. No, it sounds like this is the only successful swim team or uh, any team yeah. in 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 some time, memory. anyway. So, yeah. Yeah, about the only other success that we've seen is with the cheerleading, right, with Amy's mom. <laughs> um, and that was, right. you know, that was your, that was a generation before, so. Right, um, and, uh, and, and both times it's, sort of magically enhanced right, <laughs> right. neither of them are due to right. actual talent right exactly um which given given what willow calls the high mortality rate uh is probably <laughs> not too surprising <laughs> yeah yeah exactly uh so well i mean and even with the with the with some of the clumsiness of the the metaphor, I mean, I, I, I think the monsters are kind of cool. Like that's kind of a like it is fun to do like the tour of the horror genres and do the Buffy twist on. You know, I think, mm. you know, Buffy's kind of doing that with horror and fantasy, like Doctor Who does it with sci-fi. Like take like the trope you've seen a hundred times and do their version of it. Mm-hmm. So. It is cool to kind of be like, okay, well, this is the creature from the Black Lagoon, and that's clearly what's being referenced, and um, and that's kind of fun. And I did like the um, multiple Jaws references. Yeah, um, okay. There's the kind of mangled remains on the beach mm-hmm. in the opening scene at, at night, you know, mm-hmm. and um, the, the really subtle one is that Xander says this was no boating accident, which is yes, what yes. they try to pass it off as in Jaws. Um, and then again with the nurse um and all of them kind of like swimming in a circle see the, the the water moving around her and then she just gets sucked under mm-hmm. and leave that so jaws so there was some fun like little hat tips to other like horror movies and stuff which is pretty cool yeah yeah no definitely um okay so we've we've addressed the monster of the week let's talk about characters um <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> we've we've checked that box. Yes. Uh, Xander. So, well, Xander. And, and, and I want to make this note because I actually don't know if this holds up. And this was just something that I was thinking about. So, you know, something to keep sort of in mind. But we've seen, you know, again, the three types of of monsters or whatever. Um, is it true? Or maybe you know this. This might be a thesis that I would put forward and and just sort of see if it if it holds water. The ones where it does seem to be the more natural tend to be ones that feature Xander in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and I so my two pieces of evidence are this one, which you know where we get some interesting character stuff for Xander, um, and and the praying mantis one, which I brought up a few minutes ago. Uh, yeah, you know, which obviously was Xander as well. Now I would have to think more about what other ones we've seen to see if, if there is right. a trend here, but 
Um, I'm thinking way back to your your whole soul triptych, and mm-hmm. you know that would seem to sort of fit in with the ideas of the body. And I think there was the really interesting scene to me here um, on that. It's kind of a throwaway scene in a way, but but I think uh, you know from a Xander as body, <laughs> um, you know, uh, thesis perspective um, is the scene where he runs into Cam uh Cameron while uh he's going to the vending machine and Cam is uh-huh. coming out of the locker room going to the cafeteria. Uh-huh. Uh right. So they're both on their way to get food. And Xander's like, oh, like the new look, blah, blah, blah. He talks about like being happy when Buffy beats up, you know, stupid jerks, basically. Yeah. And then yeah. uh Cam is like, well, you're lucky I'm hungry. And Xander's like, oh, the cafeteria is closed, right? Something he would know. He would know when yeah. the cafeteria is open and it's closed. And then Cam goes, not to me. And you kind of get this look from Xander like, oh, wait a minute. Like, huh. Like, you almost get this idea like, hmm. That might be a temptation, you know, to him to to be, to have the cafeteria open to him at all hours of the day. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like it's, yeah. it, it, I don't, I Maybe that's just me reading into it, but it he is on his way to get a snack and he's counting out his quarters versus just walking into the cafeteria and getting whatever he wants to eat. So, you know, fodder for thought there. Right. As just just as having this sort of brass to walk in there and take it or as a perk of the swim team, do you think? It, no, it seems like it's one of the because they talk a lot about the privileges of being on the swim okay. team. That's a winning. So that's team. like part of the part of the, one of the perks. Of and, and that conversation is being in the elite. Yeah, right. That conversation is, you know, begins with Xander sort of saying, oh, so I guess Buffy isn't on your list of privileges after all. But Cam walks away saying, "Ah, but what is on my list of privileges is I'm hungry right now. Yeah. And yeah. And there's that. Throughout the episode, there's there's several references to the to the privileges being of the body type, sexual right. and food related, basically, because yeah. um, even at the end where where you get the nurse thrown in there, right, they presumably eat her or at least take bites out of her as we see her floating later. Um, yeah. And and so that feeds their their stomach needs and then yeah the coach pushes buffy in and says oh they boys have other needs too and i know which is such an icky yeah 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 <laughs> it's so icky right uh you know and then the coach at the end too presumably that's his fate is well, to get gang raped by these fish is that what we're meant to believe <laughs> you know i I was wondering if I should bring that up or if you were that going to. That seems to, to be so. what Buffy says when she says they really love their coach. That there is an implication there that, I mean, we already heard from the coach that they're not hungry anymore. So no. what what are they satisfying in that particular I, scene? That seemed pretty blatant to me. Okay. But, um, okay. I just thought Unless I was Unless anyone has I any... Mean, I, you know, no. Maybe I was just thinking... Yeah. No, no, I don't think so. No, I think the combination of the fact that he clearly says they're not interested in eating you, and then Buffy says... Buffy understands what that means, because she says, okay, that's what my reputation needs, is <laughs> right, right. doing it with the... So she knows what's going to happen. And then the coach falls in, and I was thinking, oh, God, 
don't go there. And then it went there. And then it went there. <laughs> and then Buffy specifically says they really love their coach. So I think that's meant to be pretty explicit. Yeah. From what I can see. Okay. Anyway, it's icky. It is icky. That's one word to use to describe that. Yeah. Um, but we were talking about Tanner. But so, yes. So, so both the what is sort of built up as an attractive sort of elite group and what makes them sort of icky is these desires of the flesh, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like that's both both their privilege and what makes them sort of monstrous, you right. know, is the fact that they just take whatever they want, be it, you know, women or cafeteria food. Right. And even, I mean, and even smaller hints of, you know, Gage playing solitaire with naked cards, you know, naked women on card on the cards. I mean, um, not the cards themselves aren't. Na- well, I, I guess the cards are naked technically, but um, <laughs> the naked women on the cards and and yeah, and it's like that. That to me is the more interesting part of the metaphor, I guess, than the steroids because there is even without there is an entitlement sort of culture you even get around sports like you hear about the stories of some of the crazy things that happen in all levels of sporting uh you, you know activities <laughs> um, yeah. and and just you know the amount of things that that people seem willing to put up with for that celebrity you know that uh someone who is talented you know does tend to get away with a lot more things uh you know than your average person might uh be able to and whether and it's, and it's hard to tell is it because of the celebrity is it because of the talent is it because of the money that comes yeah. you know to people who have those things um or all of the above like you know where does that like like can you even extract a specific, uh, you know, uh, reason for why that seems to happen in those cases? Um, and you do hear about horrible stories, thinking just even to, you know, things like the uh, the Penn State controversies yeah. and that kind of thing, you know, where, um, you know, that was a coach or, or someone on the coaching staff who was taking advantage of, of people, not, not the players themselves necessarily, but, uh, you know, that sort of idea of privilege that, that. Right. And it's institutionally ignored Mm -hmm. and sort of swept agreed upon by the administration. And, you know, like how many people are complicit in that? And that's kind of what's happening with, you know, the coach and Snyder and, and Snyder the nurse pressure, and, yeah. and the nurse and pressuring Willow. It's all right, to right. say, well, you're winning. They're winning. So don't screw it up for them. And, you know, I'm sure, you know, it's not that big a deal. Just give right. them a free pass. Right. Like yeah. Snyder saying, you know, Gage is a champion. He's under more pressure, you right. know, than other people kind of thing. It's like, well, what? You know, no. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway. Yeah, no, and that's and it's uh, you know blatantly true of all those real world you know scandals. It's 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 all just a thin 
cover-up for the real motivation is we're winning and we want to keep it that way. Right. And you know, we don't want the house of cards to come. Right. And, and it is all of the, those things. It's, it's prestige, it's privilege, it's money. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, and it might be more for one person of one thing than another, but all of those things are always involved. (laughs) You Mm -hmm. know, it's, it's, it's that entitlement. It's that access to, special things that other people don't get and and the money that comes along with all of it um so yeah i you know and sort of conveniently we don't see whether or not willow makes a decision one way or the other because right yeah that's never really that would be something that i would i would feel like would be a more interesting story would have been to, to kind of see where she goes with that. Does she end up standing up to Snyder and not changing a grade or is that, is that not addressed in future episodes? Gage is a monster. Well, is, is the, not that specifically, but is the sort of idea of Snyder. Cause you kind of get the idea that, okay, she probably is doing a good job. I'm not saying that she only has it because of whatever. But part of it has to be she's easier to manipulate because she's a student and you can push her around. So, I mean, maybe Snyder can't find anyone for the job, but maybe it actually suits him. Maybe he's not looking that hard. Maybe it's actually nice to have, like, a meek 17-year-old who he feels like he can control you know, right. and then, giving out, handing out a few passing grades. And an overachiever who yeah, is going to be willing for, to. Who's looking for approval and right. everything. So right. I'm not expecting the issue of Gage's failure to ever come up again. But like, is the idea of. Because the impression you get is if Willow wants to keep that job, she's going to have to play ball. You know? Yeah, I, I mean. So. I would wonder I if that could come up again. I won't say yes or no um, as far as that goes, but as far as th- for this particular issue, yeah, right, because cause now we know that the kids are not going to be getting steroid <laughs> treatments a, again. So No, they have swum, like, they've yeah, swum, the swum off into the swim ocean. The swim yeah. isn't, isn't an issue. So as far yeah. as this particular thing, it doesn't come to a head here, at least, I will say that. Yeah. So like, okay. So like – that's why I'm saying like for this particular episode, that would have been more interesting to me to see how Willow might have actually ended up handling that before, you know, Gage turned into a monster kind of thing. Like, does she right. decide to change the grade or or does she stand up to Snyder? But it, you know, it's a loose end that just gets swept under the rug and we don't we don't find out in particular to this case how things may work out. So. Yeah. Um, we do find out other, well, I, oh, sorry, without getting into Willow, but I do think, I do think that's all interesting because I think that's all sort of tied together. Um, and I had started that whole sort of thread by talking about like Xander and his, I think his desire is there. Like he kind of does want to have the privileges. Right. And, and yes, he goes on the swim team for like good reason right to to keep an eye on things and to kind of be the their inner guy yeah he's but a, that's not he's why a hor- he's on the swim he's team. a horrible spy by the way but yeah, yeah. um but yeah no he he's he's also there 
for the privilege of it. Yeah. Like you, you can't, I, I don't think we can just say that his motives are entirely pure. Like, no, I don't think you, so. you know, he's definitely, there's gotta no, be in he, the back of the mind, his thinking. Yeah. Now I have access to the cafeteria at night. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, and, and he's, and he's spent the whole first half of the episode clearly being envious of right this like he he complains about them and so you know he could he would kill to be right. one of them well and, and he <laughs> and and cordy you know, even calls him out right at the beginning right yeah well and and there and cordy's part of it too because sure. part of you know it, it's not a bad motivation but it's it's you know part of his motivation is to impress cordy you know so there's that's sort of in the middle between the, the the purely selfish status stuff and the and the selfless helping of the team. Then you've kind of got this other thing, which is you know, hey, I'll be you know looking cool for my girlfriend because she cares about this kind of stuff, and and he cares about it too. Mm-hmm. Um, so right, yeah. So I think he's got a lot of reasons. Um, it was funny when you were talking about, I'd have to think more about too, whether his episodes have like a, a more natural element, but it definitely seems like his episodes often have to do more so than with the others. They have to do with him being like taken over by something. Like, I'm trying to think of, I can't really think of anyone else who has that with that frequency but like i'm thinking of uh the pack when he's gonna you know when he turns into the hyena or it yeah, yeah. bewitched etc mm-hmm. where he's well i guess it's not him that's being taken over then it's it's all the it's everyone else right is the problem um and th- but then even with um you know the teacher's pet it, it there is that sense that I don't know that all those when you add this one in too, all of those episodes seem to have to do with him having either becoming or under threat by monsters in a way that uh, the other episodes maybe I don't think of that when I think of Willow centric mm. episodes as much. Um and I'd have to think more about that too. But maybe that has something to do with the natural stuff is under threat by monsters and beasts and animals and all these things that, you know. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, it could be. It's interesting. But of course, you just pointed out a couple episodes where there's magic involved. That's true. And, and <laughs> so that might ruin my thesis per se. But, well, you know, we'll still think about it a little bit. There, there might or be, maybe, there might or maybe be a there's a that, that works. Or maybe there's a deeper unifying thread that we're not thinking of. Right, right. Um, so anyway, so but I, I think one of one of the other things here about Xander in this episode is that we see him sort of stepping up into in in previous episodes, Xander has tended to be uh not 
the one like taking the lead or whatever. And I mean, he doesn't necessarily take the lead here either, but he does take some initiative, right? Like he goes and joins the swim team without telling anyone in order to help the group and help to help figure out what's going on. He confronts. And he does actually investigate. He doesn't just. Right. Not do any. He actually does use his access to try to ask questions. Right. Um, albeit transparently <laughs> and even his confronting of cam you know it's like it's okay they run into each other and so it just happens to be there but he doesn't back away right he's not like hey this strong swim team member could like beat the crap out of me he just kind of stands there and and yeah. and gives it to him and you know things work out like he doesn't get beat up anyway so you know definitely uh Definitely some interesting things going on there. And, and you know, I, we could surmise why that may be. I suspect it's maybe, like you said, like there's multiple reasons, right? Like, so it's part Cordy, you know, maybe he's mm-hmm. feeling a little more confident because he has a girlfriend now and he's, he's standing, you know, able to stand up for himself and he's kind of been in a few situations or whatever. But um, anyway just we can kind of see even what Cordy's saying at the end, although maybe not with the same, uh, (laughs) whatever, but you know, she says you've really proven yourself to me. And I think, yeah, in this episode, Xander does kind of prove himself to everyone. It's not just, uh, you know, he's not just running to Buffy or, you know, getting beat up or whatever. He's, he's kind of actively out there helping the team and taking initiative and, doing some stuff i'm not saying that's yeah. that'll always be the case i'm just saying in this episode we see we see some yeah. of that yeah we do um and cordy comes off pretty well too she has her yeah i mean she has her moments speech <laughs> where apparently she's uh we've gone from totally uh embarrassed to walk down the hall with him to making uh, promises that she'll stick with him oh, even right, if he's right, turned right, into a right. fish and everything. <laughs> when she thinks that so, he's the fish. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it's funny. I, I think that's meant to be a funny scene. I don't know that that... I mean, not to say it's not sweet, but it. I think it's more meant to be the joke of her uh, not understanding what's going on rather than the actual big, like, romantic... Gesture. ...culmination yeah, of anything. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that what she says isn't a pretty significant, just as a show of where, you know, where their relationship was even a few episodes ago. Um, Suddenly now she's worried he's going to dump her for other fish. You know, this is... (laughs) Right, there's there's literally other fish in the sea, right. Yeah, that, that he's turned into a monster and rather than dump him she's concerned that she might not be good enough for him anymore but she'll stick with him and she'll improve his quality of life so yeah i don't know i thought that was yeah i think maybe 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 taking that scene a little too seriously but i kind of liked it yeah i i think you're right in the one respect that like i don't i don't think we can take that as like a completely uh earnest scene yeah. <laughs> seems a little self-aware but um yes definitely 
But no, I think you're right. Like, I think we've noticed just in general, and especially since the Valentine episode, right, the Bewitched episode, that uh, there is a change to their relationship, definitely. There's and mm. and and part of that is a change to Cordy specifically, in that mm. she is definitely feeling things for Xander that we would not have expected, you know, back when they first kissed in Buffy's basement. So, um, or the second time they kissed in Buffy's basement. No. Um, Or when they were hiding in closets. Right, right, right. And all of that. So, so yeah, no, I think, I think we are meant to see this as a progression and contrasted even just with, what she said, like even almost right before that, or or a couple scenes before that, um, you know, the whole creature from the Blue Lagoon thing. Um, you know, it's one thing yeah. to be dating a lame, unpopular guy, but it's another thing to be dating the creature from the Blue Lagoon. But then when she does see and mm-hmm. think that it's him and that he has turned into a creature, she actually is like, oh, you know, no, I do care about you. So well, and and the other big difference there is. The first one, she's surrounded by people. And the second one, she's by herself. Right. So there might be an element of... Yeah. Of the 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 context, too, I guess. There could be that. Although I don't get the sense that Cordy is too bothered by other people being around and, and what she says. <laughs> that's true. Um, in other situations. But, yeah, you that's know, true. You know, I don't know. Um, I think it's, I think there's the initial shock and the, the, the sort of the, 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 you know, you're a step away from it. So you can sort of ruminate on, oh, how horrible, horrible would it be if I were dating the creature from the Black Lagoon or whatever? And then there's the, oh my gosh, no, this really actually happened to my boyfriend. And, and surprise of all surprises, I actually care about him and, and. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. You also get the sense, though, or at least I did. I shouldn't say you did. I did. I've mm-hmm. always gotten sort of the the sense that she's kind of hoping that he'll say, I want to see other fish. <laughs> like, like, yeah. like right. that she's he'll being, let her she, off the hook, so to speak. Man, I'm coming up with nice all these stupid fish moment. analogies. Yeah. Yeah. Um, right, right. That, that that she's being the magnanimous one in the hopes that he'll say, no, yeah. no, it's okay. Well, not yeah. that he could, if he were a fish, but you know what I mean? Like that he'll just ignore her and then she'll have an excuse to not have to date him. There may be an element of that in in her, uh, in her little speech there too. But I, I think, yeah. I think if I were to put it like in percentages, I would say like 73% sincere. Uh-huh. Okay. So mostly, mostly. <laughs> Uh-huh. But but with a with a generous helping of you know maybe we should go our separate ways. Uh huh. <laughs> um. So we're Fair we're enough. coming up on our time here. Uh, what other so character stuff? I guess the only other well, surprisingly not a whole lot with Buffy. I mean, there's some interesting stuff, sort of on the whole privileges front, with regard to how they treat her. And right. I mean, it's not so much about her as this theme in the episode of people objectifying her. You know, that it's, you know, 
that the the whole scene where he like locks her Cameron, I guess, locks her in yeah the car, like just out of the blue. Yeah, talk about um, a creepy, you know, sort of really, scene. Really creepy, and then of course everybody blames her, and right. uh, and and the coach and Snyder tell her to dress more appropriately. Yeah, um, which so is like this whole like. Yeah, victim blaming thing going on, and then uh, the coach throws her to the pack at the end, and every so, I don't know that that tells us anything about Buffy so much as the right. only thing it made me question was what is her because we see so much from her point of view, mm-hmm. we don't actually know much about how she's viewed by the outside but by the rest of the school so it made me wonder is this the popular view of buffy is Mm -hmm. that she's they say you know she gives me the creeps but they're not uh, afraid to you know uh take advantage make like make like rude suggestive comments and or you know more or actions yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah. Um, um so so it is this her what could be interesting about that is, does that suggest that this is the popular view of her? That she's that weird kind of antisocial girl who is, you know, is attractive enough that we're, like, kind of into her, but we're also kind of scared of her. And so we can sort of, you know, put her in that kind of sexy girl role, but, you know but limit her to sort of that. And nobody actually wants to know her because who knows what she gets up to when she skips class and you, whatever. Um, and she's always involved in all these weird right, right. things and always getting into fights and stuff. So I think it just suggested things about her reputation, which are kind of interesting. Right. And, and we already referred to that line where she talks about her reputation and, yes. and sleeping <laughs> with the whole swim. Right, right. So, you know, I, I think, I think there is, I think we can surmise to a degree some of that, although I would say we have insufficient data at this point to to make that a widespread. But that's a great question to be asking because you're right. We don't, we don't see much from an external perspective about Buffy. I would throw in another piece of evidence though and say that we don't only get the swim team, right? We also get Jonathan's point of view. Mm-hmm, and right. and his and point he, of view is similar to what we've seen from Xander before, right? It's the leave me alone. I can handle getting beat, beaten up my, on my own, you know, side. Right. So it's, it's, I think the interesting thing here is it's the, you know, we talked about, we don't see Willow standing up to like Snyder or anyone about, you know, the grades for the swim team, but what Buffy is the one who stands up, right? She's the one who, who stands against yeah. the, the quote privileges of, of the swim team. And when she stops that, she, I mean, there's Snyder right there disapproving of her, you know, telling her to come with him. And, and, yeah. and like you said, yeah, it's the victim blaming. It's the, you know, she, she provoked me and, you know, all I, was doing was nothing <laughs> and you know like yeah. you know like that kind of stuff and it's the yeah i mean that is an un, un, an unfortunate thing but again yeah i don't know i don't know how much that says about buffy but you're right i think i think we can look at that a little bit 
Um, I mean, obviously the swim team themselves, like it, you know, is this just the point of view of a bunch of privileged kids? Well, I don't know. Cause we get again, Jonathan's point of view. So, right. so maybe it is, you know, beyond just sort of the, the swim team here, but, um, I would say definitely mm-hmm. let's keep that in mind because obviously there's a lot of kids at the school. Will we see others? Of course we will. And you know, will we get a chance to see how they view Buffy? Uh, yeah, it's it's interesting for what it sort of suggests, you know, which is yeah. that it might be interesting to know what does everyone think yeah. of her, you know, and so and kind of an intriguing idea. And I, the only sort of caveat I would throw in there is that, you know, when when she says it's, you know, the last thing my reputation needs is can we is Buffy reliable in estimating her own reputation as well? You know right. what I mean? Like. Is she being too hard on herself? Possibly. Right. You know? Yeah. I don't know. Um, I do want to talk about Willow and Jonathan. Both. Okay. Not necessarily yes. together. We talked a little about Willow, but specifically I want to talk about her uh, newfound talent for interrogating people. Her interrogation. And, and not only the talent, but the willingness with which she, uh, yeah. you know, wants to do that. So. Um, yeah. She kind of reveled in it. Yeah. I'll crack him like an egg. She says. <laughs> and then uh, uh, when Buffy remarks that she's really getting into, into the interrogation thing, Willow says the trick is not to leave any marks, you know, like, like now she has <laughs> all this experience into it, but um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, right. And she seems, where does that come successful? From, you know? I mean, I mean, Jonathan doesn't seem particularly difficult to intimidate but right. she successfully does you right, know right, right. she gets him to admit his revenge which is peeing in the pool but <laughs> yeah um right yeah exactly peeing in the pool so <laughs> i you know i don't know i don't know if this will take us anywhere or not but it's it, willow seems to have a little darker side um jonathan uh, this is the most we've seen of him, right? I mean, I think so. Like we've seen little snippets of him here and yeah. there, but yeah, but... the most. This is the closest that could actually be called to like a subplot of his own, I right? Think, right. Which is that he's actually a suspect in the mystery, you know? Right. Right. Because he was bullied, it might be him who's getting revenge, and he is just not for what they think he did. Right. Not in the way. Right. right. So, yeah, I don't I don't have a lot to say about Jonathan, but I just No, but yeah, yeah, he's been he's been promoted from you know, cameo to supporting player, I think. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. Uh so anyway. Good for him. Good good stuff. But Yeah. Well, I saw I saw a thing on Twitter the other day that said against all odds is this the most successful Buffy alum and you click the link and it's Jonathan because he wrote that movie, the Butler. And it was like, Uh, like, actually like who, who would have thunk it? (laughs) Yeah. He has gone on to have some success, but anyway, that just reminded me of that. Yeah. No, that's funny. I do. I, I like Jonathan's character. We, I mean, you know, we'll, we'll see more of him. Yeah. But it's, uh, you know, not saying that it'll be a lot more, but, you never know what what may come to pass. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, on to Doctor Who. So we sort of okay. started with uh, talking about David Fury. So I know you had some notes um, on the writer of this episode of Doctor Who, Helen Rayner. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and let you start with this one, since I 
kind of sure. talked a bit there. Yeah, well, um, so a few interesting things to note because this is her first um, episode for the show. Um, she is actually, she's not the first woman to write in the history of Doctor Who, a classic Who, but she's the first female writer in the new show. And this is shameful to admit, but she's actually the only female writer in New Who to oh, date. Okay. Um, which has is, she written other episodes beyond this? She has. She has. A, she wrote this two-parter, and she has a two-parter in uh, series four. Um, oh, so okay. not a lot. Not a lot more. Um, and actually, when you think about that. It's a little depressing, but, um, <laughs> sure, sure. It is what it is. Um, so that's certainly, you know, she's in a very, uh, a class of one in that regard. And in one of very few, you know, as female writers in the history of the show anyway, um, uh, she's also, she wrote for, uh, Torchwood too, um, and did other TV and theater work. Um, and she was actually, at this point in the show was the script editor for the for the series mm. um and kind of how she uh i mean maybe they had been thinking about uh commissioning her for a job anyway but um the reason she wrote this two-parter is because Stephen Moffat was supposed to write the the Dalek you know story uh in this season and he was working on another show at the time which was taking up a lot of his time and he had to uh at the at, at a very late hour had to call up and and pass on doing the story he just didn't have time to do it so he uh gets to do another smaller episode which plays later in the series um and i i i assume as the script editor uh helen rayner is the one who gets to be told by the boss you know, sorry, but you get to do this one sort of at the 11th hour. Um, so even though this isn't uh, one of the best, um, I try to give her some slack because I think this was a, a late a late in the day addition and for someone who'd never written a Doctor Who script before. Um, so, you know, some of the clunkiness of this episode may be due to those factors sure um, sure but in any case i just figured we should note her because those are all sort of reasons to take notice i think yeah cool well um and it's not to say that it's not to say that there's nothing to like about these episodes but i just want to put it in context is all yeah no there's some interesting stuff here i will go out on a limb and say i'm you know not my favorite this season. Yeah. Because <laughs> this no, is the fourth episode we've, we've had... seen this season. <laughs> well, and I think the first three episodes, the first three episodes and the Christmas special were all really good. Um, sure. So I think especially coming after a run of pretty strong episodes, these ones don't do so well. Um, Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, and, you know, let's get let's get it out of the way. The pig human things yeah. are not, yeah, you know, that convincing. No, I, not good. And honestly, the first thing I thought when I saw the that wherever we see that first pig man is we already saw a walking pig in Doctor yeah. Who. 
you know, yeah. we saw we we had the alien pig thing happening. So, mm-hmm. like, I I'm not clear. And well, like, what what do human pig things have to do with Daleks? Like, I, I'm not clear. Like how that how that correlates. Yeah, there's an answer, and it's nothing, <laughs> really. Oh, you know. Okay. I, I I don't know that they do, and I think we can talk about this in other. And and I don't know. Maybe this is an interesting exercise for the second half of the story: is see if we can find ways that any of these things make sense. But, uh, <laughs> One of these, a lot of things, one of these things is not like no, none of these things of, is like the other. <laughs> a lot of these things in this episode, it's like, okay, some of them are lame and some of them are good, but I'm not sure what any of them really have to do with each other. And I think that's kind of where the problem mm. comes in. Is you know, the pig people are lame. You know, we could have just gotten rid of that whole idea to begin with. You know, because you already have the Daleks, you already have the monster right mm-hmm. so you could have had slave humans um well or, or you could have had just dalek or or <laughs> more so, like you know diogenes there or whatever his name is diagor diogenes way off um <laughs> yeah like more people like him who like well are thinking they're gonna that's... get rich from you know what's going on with the daleks here right right now the 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 Dalek human hybrid thing at the end is different because I think that's important that that's he's the only no no one no like I that. mean but before that he's a completely willing human to do oh right you yeah know, no just, whatever yeah like the Daleks human, say like right like like uh you know more uh, believers in the cause so to speak yeah. you know without making them slave pig people right just sort of unethical opportunist humans right um yeah i agree there are there are less hokey ways to have done this story so it's frustrating that you know you see that and you think oh why couldn't you just have this episode would be so much better without the pigs well and you know you know and i think like okay like i get sort of the oh you know how horrible would it be if we had these aliens who came and like turned us into other things. And I think that's the purpose of Laszlo, right? Like he's, uh-huh. he, he's the link that we're supposed to like be seeing like, Oh, you know how he, they had this budding romance and he was going to meet her parents and you know, now he's a pig man, but yeah. like, but like you can't, I, I don't know. Like to me, it's, it just doesn't work. It, I don't know. No. It, no. So, I, I get why the intent there is for that like horror aspect, but it just it doesn't seem to fit. So yeah, the the uh, no because you can't because you look at them and you laugh. Um, yeah, and so it's kind of hard to be horrified of something that. And I think I mean we <laughs> by something that snorts at you. <laughs> we've enjoyed the camp element in yeah. this show before, so I don't think there's no place for that. But but I don't think. The pigmen are playing up the camp element. They're playing it pretty straight. Um, like they're playing it as something to be feared and pitied, not something which is in any sense right. fun. Right. So, not like the walking pig we see in right. Aliens of yeah. London. Yeah. So there's like a dissonance between 
the fact that I kind of want to laugh, but I'm expected to be sort of sad and sympathetic to these, but I really just want to laugh mm -hmm. because they're silly. Mm -hmm. um, so I think, yeah, it's just, it doesn't, it doesn't work. And it doesn't even have that, it's not even something that could work and doesn't quite. It's like, it doesn't really even have to do with the story that much. Like you could just literally take out the pigmen and yeah. it wouldn't make a difference. I mean, other than to the Laszlo Tallulah story, but we could question whether that has anything to do with the story either. Well, and let's so, question that right now. Okay. Does that have anything to do with the story? <laughs> <laughs> and again, I'm going to say maybe we can try to think of something next week, but I, I'm not sure that it does. I really wish there was a way to make the theater part of the plot work with the rest of it. But again, it's like... I kind of get the the mix of the Empire State Building and the Hooverville that you have the mm -hmm. the like um, dual classes almost the dual class the the money and status and society living literally feet away from the and, abject poverty and overshadowing both yeah literally yeah. and metaphorically and yeah and we did just go you kind of get a nice parallel to we we were in. New, 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 new York last week. Mm -hmm. And again, you got that over city versus under city where the, you know, there's kind of a idealized utopia over city, which turns out to just be a hollow shell in which everybody's died mm -hmm. and the, and the, you know, the slums underneath. Right. So you kind of, that's kind of a nice parallel to then go to regular New York and get the same sort of theme. But then I don't know why the theater's there. <laughs> and other than to just have some variety in giving the New York culture, well, you know, think... and it has a kind of, it has a kind of fun Chicago, you know, Tallulah's kind of a Roxy Hart type, although without the murder and the alcoholism and, <laughs> but, but it, I mean, it gives the period well. It just doesn't add a whole lot to the to the actual plot of the story. Yeah. You mean you don't like the, the noir accents and the... Yeah. I, I, en I enjoy them, but <laughs> it's, yeah. a little over the t it's a little over the top. It's a little over the top. Yeah. 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 It's... Hands in the air. <laughs> hands in the air. Yeah, I tried yeah. to spell out hands there. Right? <laughs> think i got it um <laughs> now well, tell me you schmucks you yeah, <laughs> what have yeah. you done with laszlo laszlo <laughs> and uh and and of course you get all these brits doing american accents so you get some of them doing just regular you know like mm -hmm. you know as sort of unregional as they come and then you've got like yeah like Tolula, who's clearly from like Brooklyn or something. And then you've got Frank, who's from, like, the Deep South. And it's like... Yeah, no. no. Part of it, which Andrew Garfield, okay, a little cameo from somebody who will go on to be known from other things, but um, I'm not quite sure why he's from Tennessee or wherever he's from. Just, right. it, like, adding variety for variety's sake. I just wish all these things mattered to each other a little bit more. They seem to all be sort of yeah. 
Well, yeah, no, because he, um, he and not very connected. Well, and it's just like the fact is that he prank ends up just being cannon fodder for the useless pigs. Like, you know, like, right. you know, it's like it's one thing after another after another that just like they don't. Other than to to. They don't really relate to each other. I don't know. Right. I don't get it. Yeah. Um. So. Right. It, you know, it, it's interesting. I just thought of this, that if the fault of Go Fish is a, a, a central metaphor, which is too literal and which is sort of being hammered at you, this one kind of is almost the opposite. Like it needed more cohesion. It's too. Yeah. It's too spread out. You know, maybe it shouldn't have been a two-part episode, you know, or something. To or, Yeah, well, and, and that's part of the struggle have, they I'm having. They could have streamlined it. Yeah, like, I, you know, and, they could definitely have, have shortened and streamlined this a lot, I think. And just thinking about the other two-part episodes that we've had, you do get a clear... It's much better. So, thank, like we've already made a reference to Aliens of London. Like, there, you know, you have this you know, you have this build up intention, you know, right at the end and, you know, cause the doctor and everyone is being zapped and all this stuff like here. Mm-hmm. Okay. You get a little of that, but it's like right at the end when you finally realize what the final experiment, you know, is yeah. how it's turning out or whatever. But like, yeah, the build up to that is just kind of like, right. and we're running all over the place. We're meeting all these people and or things that, don't really seem to connect it in any way and not a lot of it makes a whole lot of sense so yeah well and even in even in the aliens of london where the where the alien is sort of again a little lame um at least there you have the emotional through line you've got the doctor and rose and their relationship which is changing and and all the stuff Mm. with mickey and you have like you, we can deal with silly, campy monsters if the story is good, you know. Whereas this one, it's it's the story is not as good, so it, it's harder to forgive the the pigmen when there's less of a sort of emotional current sure. sort of carrying you. Sure. Um, okay. So what did you like about this episode? What do I like about this? Well, well, is there anything in particular we want to talk about? Like, well, I mean, maybe we should at least spend some time talking about the whole idea of the Daleks and the final experiment and everything. Okay. Before we go there, I will say one good thing about this episode that I like. Do it. I like when Solomon broke the baby, I mean the bread in half. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and gives one to each of the two two yes. men. No, I yes. I mean he is a he is a he is a wise and just leader. <laughs> I, I I was saying uh before we started recording here how I didn't even catch that like the first time wa- watching this through and then the second time I was like, "Oh my gosh, that is such an obvious, you know, Solomon two guys fighting over something. He breaks yeah. it in half, which is for those who don't yeah. know the story, exactly what the King Solomon of the Bible threatened to do, but, you know, to a baby when two women were fighting yeah. over uh, which one it was. So I, I thought that was a a nice nod and then, like, yeah. uh, complete reversal of, like, what the actual, you know, what actually happens. Um, yeah. 
so no, I, I, I actually, from a character perspective, I don't know what he's going to do. I like Solomon. He seems like a solid guy. He, he, you know, mm-hmm. he, he's helping keep the society of the Hooverville in central park in check. And, uh, uh, seems pretty genuine. So of, of like the, you know, beyond the doctor and Martha who, you know, are the people we're following, um, he seems like the only character I can really get behind in this in this episode. I'm not I'm not too convinced of Tallulah and uh, Laszlo's future. <laughs> I'm just gonna say, and I, you know, I I don't know. It, I think it keeps coming back to that stinking noir accent for me. Like I just yeah, their their, their whole like shtick <laughs> just seems yeah. a little. Uh, a little too contrived for me to really be rooting right. for them well, as you're a couple. In the, you're in the world of parody when between her with her over the top accent and him with the pig face. And then <laughs> you, how can you take seriously yeah. that reuniting scene? No, like you can't, you can't, but everyone's playing it straight. Right, you know, they're right. not, they're not, reveling in the fact that this has comedic potential right it, you know they're playing it like a monster movie and everything so yeah yeah but i'm i'm with you i like solomon like i kind of i like that solomon is like the 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 good and just leader of his community but also that he is um not just like he's not just one-dimensionally noble either because you kind of get the idea that he's been struggling to be a good leader, that it's taken him this long to actually rally the people to defend themselves. And, and there's that moment when he, um, when Frank is getting pulled down and he sort of pulls the doctor away and slams the thing and says, you know, it's too late. And, and later he says to the doctor that, you know, I pulled you away because I was scared. And I let them take Frank because I was scared. So it's kind of interesting to have, you know, obviously like a good person and a good leader, but also the texture of him, you know, struggling with how to lead under really difficult circumstances and everything. So it gives him a nice sort of... Yeah. Uh, a little bit more reality, I think. To some of the right. others are so... He's a little fuller, yeah. Some, yeah, some of the others are so cardboard, whereas mm-hmm. he has some actual... <laughs> Dimension, to him, yeah. I think, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So, anyway. So, we were... You, you wanted to talk about the Daleks, though, and sort of what they're doing and Well, I mean, we could... We could talk more about the characters and finish with the Daleks. I don't know. I, I think one of the other things that Either I... Way. One of the other things about this episode is that I just... I don't think there's a lot to talk about with the Doctor and Martha. Right. You know, like... Right, which is what I was getting at with the comparison to Aliens of London a little bit. Yeah, yeah, no. Right, right, and I get that. So, like... Okay, the doctor. I okay. We don't. What is there? What is there new about him in this episode? Nothing. Like yeah. I can't think of a single thing in my notes. I didn't take any any notes where I could find. I mean, 
we already know he's scared of the Daleks. Mm-hmm. We already know he's not really paying attention to Martha the way that he paid attention to Rose. Mm-hmm. Um, he kind of finds a green glowing thing and pokes at it a bit, mm-hmm. which we've seen him poke at stuff before. So it's, you know, like, mm-hmm. okay. Um, there's the odd suggestion by Tallulah that he's gay. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. I yeah. don't, I mean, like, that's, that's it. Like, and then really just, yeah, just kind of the stuff he normally does. Like, there's nothing, I don't know. Like, and not to say that we have to, like, get some groundbreaking new revelation every episode. But also, like, but this, like you were, like you were kind of saying about the, you know, the lack of cohesion, there kind of seems to be a lack of character development here. It's just like, mm-hmm. like he's almost just, just shy of like standing around tapping his toe, waiting for the episode to be over. Right. Um, from a, from a character. Right. Uh, right. Growth perspective. Martha, same kind of thing. Yeah. You know, we don't really find out a lot. Um, you know, I mean, we already know she's a little more intellectual than Rose was. So, okay, the Daleks sniff her and they say she's got superior intelligence. That's fine. Uh, you know, kind of funny. Have you ever been on a stage before? Oh, yeah, you know, Shakespeare. How boring is that? Ha, ha, ha. Okay. Um, <laughs> you know... But, like, what does she do? The Daleks come along. Oh, everyone get in line and obey the Daleks. Okay. Yeah. Like, what else is there to Martha in this episode? Oh, uh, there's a little heart-to-heart with Tallulah. About stuff we already know. Yeah, about things that we already know that the Doctor's ignoring her. So, And she's kind of liking the Doctor. So, okay. And yeah, I don't know. The the thing that really bothered me about Martha in this episode was her going right across the stage in the middle of the performance. Like, really? Right. Really? <laughs> You're not going to, like, just go behind the curtain that's right there and walk, you know, behind that curtain to the other side of the stage? Every stage, there's a way to get around the other side of the stage without <laughs> walking straight in front of the, the audience, you know? Yep. I... Yeah. That seemed kind of strange to me and not totally um, in line with her intelligence. But yeah. Uh, anyway. Yeah. Like, um, and, and, that, and that's one no, of those things. I'm kind of with you. That, and, and I would put that in the same category just even with the pigmen and stuff themselves. Like clearly they did it for comedic effect. Oh, you're stepping on my tail. Oh, wouldn't it be funny if all these dancers fell down? Yeah. It, 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 but it doesn't. It doesn't yeah. do anything story wise, and I should I should be careful because I don't want to be like too hypocritical or anything. Like I like stuff that's done for comedic effect. Like I'm totally fine yeah. with slapstick. I just I feel like I, this episode just had a lot of it and not not very much. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you said, it's like the stuff that they kind of expected you to take seriously. You can't. And then this, and then so when the slapstick stuff is there, you're kind of like, well, okay, but where's the real stuff? Right. Yeah. Where, I, where's the meat? 
I won't disagree Wait, with any of that. Where's, where's the, the beef? Where's the beef? <laughs> I want the beef. Um, uh, I, so yeah. so now can we talk about Daleks? I mean, not uh, we can talk about Daleks. Well, I think I think, and part of that too. I look the. the I'm not going to lie and say that the next episode is going to turn around and completely <laughs> redeem the first because that's not these these, and these two are completely redeemed. Yeah, this episode uh, that's not going to happen. But I think part of what I was thinking about maybe they would have been well advised to streamline this story into one episode. Yeah, I think part of I think that sense of waiting around tapping their toes is. The Doctor and Martha are waiting for the plot to get started. And they don't know what the plot is. The plot's happening in the Empire State Building. Mm -hmm. And they don't find out about it until the end of the episode. So there's a lot of just them exploring the period, which is fine. I mean, it's kind of, like I said, it's cool to see Hooverville. It's cool to see the theater. But that doesn't actually accomplish anything and and they don't necessarily have any thematic resonance actually it's interesting um that the historicals used to be when doctor who first started they used to do um uh, science fiction stories like in set in the future but then they would also do historicals which didn't have any aliens or monsters they were purely mm. set in the past and it would just be about the Doctor and the Companions basically touring and exploring a time period. And there there would generally be, the drama would come from uh, can or can't we affect events? Um, what control do we have over anything? How might we get involved in what is now known as textbook history? That kind of thing. Yeah. So, um, and I think some of what I've read about this episode is that it, it's sort of, either a relic of that or maybe trying to harken back to that. But then, but then at this point, pretty early, you know, after the first two or three years back in the sixties, they gave up the historicals because it is a limited mm-hmm. format. There's only so much you can do with that. And they started that even when they would go to the past, there would always be some sort of monster element to have them have, something to do. Um, so you kind of get the sense that maybe that's what it's trying to go for is, is they don't need to be involved in the Dalek plot if we have them sort of moving around in the time period, but, but it's not that interesting and it actually doesn't advance anything. Um, and we don't really, it, it doesn't, the, the time period doesn't really matter to the story all that much. And, we don't even really get to learn that much about the main characters by doing it. So if, if they were trying to be sort of experimental, uh, that's the only, the only maybe sort of bit of slack I can cut them. Uh, but even that doesn't go so far, but so let's talk about Daleks now. Cause I think we've exhausted the, <laughs> everything else yeah okay so daleks so daleks there are daleks there are daleks and and you'll notice that the daleks have steadily declined in their mythic 
awe factor since they came back. I mean, remember in Dalek, it was mm. one Dalek, which was the most terrifying thing. And the reaction that one Dalek got from the doctor. Um, and then after that, in both of the season finales, they were the big reveal. Right? right. Like at the end, you pull back the curtain and it's Daleks behind everything. And that's the epic confrontation. Right. It's, it's Daleks now, all the way down. Yeah. Now they're not even in the finale. They're like the generic monster that we deal with halfway through the season, you know? So, which I think is actually interesting. I think that kind of reflects what they're saying about their own decline. Um, like that they're sort of pointing to the fact that what the heck, aren't we supposed to be awesome and mm -hmm. we're stuck here and there's only three of us and we're actually not that competent. Um, and to reflect that they're sort of kicked out of the epic finale status and put into, you know, sort of the opening two-parter, which is where you get the like things like this Levine. <laughs> so it sort of doesn't yeah, say so... great things about their, their status right now. And, and and so and so you're talking about this obviously like within the story, but also on a meta level yes. of of yeah. like yeah in the classic who they were the big the big bad right they were the one thing that the doctor always feared and whatever so now it's not that he doesn't fear them they're still theoretically as strong as anything mm -hmm. but. You see him sort of well, just kind even, of tucking into a corner, right? He's yeah, and like, even and even in New Who, they've had a kind of mythic, right, right, big right. Bad but, it, but that's the but that's the progression that they've taken. It, yeah, like the implication would sort of be that in the last two and a half series or whatever, that's sort of. Right, you, you okay, so there's the one Dalek and we think it's the only one left, but of course at the end of series one we find out that no, in fact there are all these Daleks who have been hiding all this time and then Rose takes care of them. Yeah. And then okay, so then in series two we, you know, get these Daleks and we you know, we find this cult of Scar or whatever, and but then they have this Genesis you know, machine that ends up being like a prison trap, but then they all get sucked into the void. So like at some point you have to say there can only be so many caches of millions of Daleks hiding <laughs> around the universe. Yeah, like, yeah. you know, and so that's the, that's the thing that we're dealing with here with Dalek sec who seems to be, so we have the cult of Scaro, right? Who is, who are like, the weird cousin Daleks who don't talk to anyone, but then we've got like the weirdest of them is yeah. Dalek sec. Who's uh -huh. like, no, actually we need to not be Daleks anymore. We need to be something new. We need to evolve. We need to, right. you know, go on here. Right. I think that's interesting. I wish it was in a better story. Yeah, I do too. Um, but I, I do, I do find that idea intriguing because it is, it is like sort of a slow death, right? It's the slow defeat, <laughs> um, you, you know, to sort of say, you know, this is, this may have worked back in the sixties, but now it doesn't really work anymore. So let's, let's kind of put it to rest or at least put it, uh, 
you know, to cool somewhere. <laughs> well, and to, and to let in that meta element to, you know, yeah, when the Daleks become over familiar, they, they do lose their mythic quality and become a little lame. So let's give them an episode where they are a little lame and they know it. <laughs> and so you get these long speeches about how come we're the supreme beings and you guys have, yeah. Millions of, of descendants and you and your cities are, you know, span the eons and right. we have nothing, which is actually uh, kind of an interesting. I mean, when he says my planet is gone, destroyed in a great oh, war, yeah. it's clearly he's no, paralleling he's, the doctor. Exactly. Right and that's yeah. I mean, that's exactly what I thought. And I think I mean, yeah. and I think it's obvious enough that we're supposed yeah. to think that like, yeah, um, yeah. Right, there's two things. Right, there, especially right? then when you have the doctor then say they survive, they always survive when I lose everything. And it, then the Daleks saying that about humanity, the human race always continues. Right, right. You get that. But then you also, there's also a parallel there, though, because it's, you have the Daleks saying the human race always continues. But we've heard the doctor say that about the human race, too, in a triumphant way. The mm -hmm. Daleks is... the the Dalek is almost saying it in a, in a, like a chagrin you know, right, for, right. for as much inflection. Like the, the, the pestilence of humanity. Continues yeah. Yeah. For as much inflection yeah. as a Dalek can put into its voice. Like, yeah, you're getting the yeah. sense that it's not very happy about the fact that the human race always can, you know, Oh, iterations of this city have happened throughout history. You know, uh, versions of the city have stand throughout history which we know because we just came from a version that's way far in 5.5 right. billion years into the future of human history. Um, yeah. And he says the human race always continues, but that's, that's the doctor's line. It's the human race always goes on. It always yeah. perseveres is what the doctor is saying. But yeah, Dalek, like you said, it, it's a pestilence. It's, <laughs> you know, this damned human race always continues. Um, yeah. Well, and, and the doctor and the Dalek, are always gonna the eternal enemies neither of them are ever really gonna go away and so sure. each of them is looking at the other when i lose everything they always continue and each of them i mean i don't mean to suggest that doctor who comes down to like a dualistic worldview or anything but i think with the doctor and the dalek it, we are supposed to see that as like eternal equally opposed forces which that they're always going to continue and each of them is always going to be super pissed that the other always survives. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. but then you get, I mean, I think the other parallel too is that, uh, I mean, what's interesting about sec is that he does seem to consider that in order to survive, they need to not necessarily be Daleks anymore. And you get, you know, what we called our, our, the title of our show, that line, evolve, 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 which mm -hmm. A, is supposed to sort of invert the exterminate, exterminate. That's like right, right, right. the thing that they say. But also the whole idea of evolution, I think, is strictly tied to the doctor because how does the doctor survive? He evolves, he changes, he he dies and is reborn as somebody else. And that's the secret to his immortality is constant evolution. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. they're not just sort of stealing 
you know, you know, I think in intention, Sek is looking at humans. How do humans survive? And maybe to survive, we need to be like that, but also implicitly like the doctor too, because I think, you, you know, change has to be one of the single biggest things you think of when you think of the doctor, both the character and the show, that yeah. that's how it keeps going as it evolves. So yeah, kind of, kind of interesting, which is why the other Daleks are understandably concerned at this idea that they don't approve of sex <laughs> methods here. Um, that it, this contradicts the yeah. Dalek imperative, um, which is purity, which is never changing. They've looked the same since 1963 when they were first, like we even contrasted them to the Cybermen who are recurring villains and look different every time they come back. Whereas the Daleks literally never evolve. Um, so it's kind of interesting to have one consider that their only means of survival is to sort of remake themselves. Right. Yeah. I have nothing to add to that. <laughs> that was very well said. So right. on that, have we, on have that we note, exhausted this episode? We might have. I, I think, and it's, you know, again, it's hard. We didn't really talk about. And we're getting, and we're getting the two-parter, so, yeah. Right, right. We didn't really talk about Mr. Diagoras. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How do you say that? Um, but what's there to say about him? He's a yeah. jerk. He's a jerk. He's he a gets eaten by a dog. Opportunist, Dalek. yeah. Um, and, yeah, at the end, we see this half-human, half-Dalek hybrid thing come out, and presumably that's where we're going to start next time. Which, again, is goofier looking than we might hope, but what are you going to do? <laughs> yeah, you persevere. We're going to have gonna, plenty, of, plenty gonna... of time with him next week. Okay, oh, great. I'm looking forward to it. Okay. Um, but anyway, well, on that note, we will see you all again next week. Yeah, if you can stand to come back. <laughs> all right. Good night.